welcome to Behold, the podcast where we turn our all-seeing eye to the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who's we? Well, I'm your host, Andrew, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Mick. No, I'm one of the spirits that you need to speak to. I'm the one wrapped in spam. Right, as opposed to the one that's wrapped in a bit of a sniffly nose. Yes. Okay, right, so so I need to talk to you, and then do I have to get the guy who's got the plant to get the other guy to turn into the gate so that I can resurrect the guy to summon the thing to turn into the other thing? That swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. And there you go, there's a synopsis of Batman, the doom that came to Gotham. Thanks for listening to the show, everyone. See you next time. So. Go go on, do it. Do the thing you do. How familiar are you with Batman? How familiar are you with Batman? Have Have you heard of him? Have you heard of Bill Finger's Batman? <laughs> what, the one that he co-produced with Bob Kane? That's right. <laughs> well, I'm I'm familiar with Batman, I'm just not familiar with the one in this film. So, yes, I, I mean, probably just to go back a sec. Today yes. we are talking about Batman the Doom that came to Gotham which is a 2023 animated film directed by Christopher Berkeley and Sam Liu, written by Jace Ritchie, and based on the DC comic created by Mike Mignola, Richard Bass, and Troy Nixie. And you see, that's that's the thing. It reminded me of Troy Nixie comics. And as you know, I've read quite a few of those. Vinegar Tooth, um, the Batman spoof that was the black... What was he called? Mick! I was relying on you to remember what that comic was called. Oh. Oh. I need to... The entire time I was watching this, I was going, oh yeah, Troy Mix- Mixie, he did that weird Batman parody thing, the black thingy, what's it? That's the... That's the oh. I'll keep waffling, I'll find it. Uh, so, yes. The Black Sinister. The Black Sinister, that's it. Yeah, that was... I think I liked that. Did I like that? Mick, remind me if I liked it or not. I don't know. I reviewed it for Four Panel. I liked it. It was it was, fun. It, it was that whole kind of this is a rich guy who goes around beating up poor people take on Batman. Yeah, it was but like it was Batman if he was an actual bitcho. But the thing was, where where it made it different to Batman was that he only protected the poor people who worked in his factory. Yeah, so that they could continue to labour yeah. for him. <laughs> so yes, Batman the Doom that came to Gotham then. Uh, this originally came out in the late 2000s, early 2001, around about then. It's mm-hmm. part of the Elseworlds line. Are, are you that familiar, 
familiar with Elseworlds? Well, the the ones I'm most familiar with are the Judgment on Gotham ones, where uh, Judge Dredd does some kind of strange time travel thing and takes on um, the Dark Judges and the Joker in Mega City 1. Um, Gotham by Gaslight, that's one of them as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think Gotham by Gaslight's even the first Elseworlds one they did. Possibly. Um, so, yeah, I've got some familiarity with the Elseworlds series, and I think some of them some of them work better than others. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't, they're basically sort of like DC's version of What Ifs, but yeah. it's a lot of just taking existing comics characters and putting them in. I think a lot of the time it's just like different time settings, isn't it? Yeah, so like, yeah. So in Judgment on Gotham, they find a way for Batman to travel to the future to chase the Joker, who's escaped to the future post-apocalyptic nightmare of Mega City 1. I think in Gotham by Gaslight, it's a sort of Victorian um, thing. But I seem to remember in the comic, it was actually in England. Yeah, I'm pretty... Yeah. Yes, it is because the villain's the Joker, but he's also Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Um, and also, we should probably decide because I feel like there's two kind of different strands of Elseworlds. Because there's the one like Judgment on Gotham, where it's ostensibly just normal Batman, but he meets Judge Dredd. Yeah. And then you've got the one like Gotham by Gaslight, where it's just an entirely new continuity as like shifting Batman. So it's yeah. set in Victorian times. Yeah. But so you you still do have the same characters. There are still characters called like Jim and Barbara Gordon, but they've got slightly different roles. Um, yeah, and Ophelia shirts. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, so this one is sort of nineteen twenties. But yes. the timeline's a bit confusing. Why? Why, Andrew? Tell me why. Tell me why Bruce Wayne has been travelling for 20 years. Right, because he needs to learn all the karate, but also boats are slower back then, so it takes a while. Right, but there's no mention of him learning all the karate, right? And also, why would you travel for 20 years with a Batman outfit in a cupboard that you never use? Yeah, well, I don't know if maybe he's been Batman, like, in other countries. But yes, that's that's an aw slightly awkward conceit of the thing that you just have to get over. When he presses that button and reveals that cupboard with that bat suit in, there's a definite feeling of, right, this is what the last 20 years have been building up to. Ta-da! Yeah, I... I'll be honest, I can't remember in the comic if it's the same or if, like, there's sort of, yeah, he's just been Batman in about doing other stuff. Right. But yeah, in, in this is definitely a very much a now it is time for me to become the Batman. Yes. Because, yeah, because basically the idea with this else world is it's Batman, it's set in the 1920s, and it's kind of essentially crossing Batman with a lot of HP Lovecraft stuff, so like the Cthulhu yeah. stories, and very specifically, it's based on the doom that came to Sarnath. Yeah, I think, I think, basically, this is 
Crisis on Infinite Grims. Which Mick assures me will mean something to some people. So, basically, Bruce Wayne is the latest in a long line of Grims. A family who are sworn to protect humans from supernatural creatures called Vesson. These are documented in the um, hard-hitting NBC documentary series from a few years ago called Grim. And keen-eyed viewers will notice that in that, Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Nick Grimm, is married to Lois Lane from Superman and Lois. But in that, she's going undercover as Juliet. Hmm. Words. Synopsis. Go on, I dare you. Fine. No, quicker. Yeah. Actually, yeah, we do only have like 70 <laughs> minutes. So... Sometime in the 1920s, which might be 1928 because that's when the comic is set, explorer Bruce Wayne, voiced by David... Gintoli. Gintoli, that's how you pronounce it. Nick Grimm. Nick Grimm. Not Nick Grimshaw. No. Comes across the remains of Oswald Cobblepot's Antarctic expedition. The only survivor is a man called Grendon, voiced by David Dasmalchen. Oh yeah, we didn't mention he voices one of the characters in Quantum Mania as well. Yeah. Bloody everywhere, I mean, that he, he's man. basically in every comic book property now, isn't he? He is, yeah, because he was like, he was Calendar Man in the long Halloween films as well. Yeah. Which, fair enough, I like old DVD. <laughs> so, yeah, Grendon, who has gouged his own eyes out as trying to free something from a wall of ice. Bruce subdues Grendon and brings him back to Gotham. Arriving back at Wayne Manor, Bruce finds the corpse of Professor Kirk Langstrom, Jeffrey Coombs. He also meets Jason Blood and his demonic half Etrigan, both of whom are voiced by Matthew Watterson, who warns Bruce that something terrible is coming, and that the only way to defeat it is for Bruce to die and become who he truly is. Reading Cobblepot's journal, Bruce learns that he was part of a cult focused around the Testament of Ghoul. Donning his costume, Batman goes to retrieve the book, but is attacked by Talia al Ghul, voiced by Emily O'Brien, and her demonic henchman. Etrigan saves Batman, but is trapped in a magic bottle. Meanwhile, Talia's other crocodilian henchman retrieves Grendon from Bruce's now frozen ship because he's Mr. Freeze, killing Dick Grayson and Sanjay Todd. Who. It kind of isn't super clear, but that's basically this universe's version of Jason Todd. Ah, oh yeah. Because Sanjay gets shot into J, so he's J Todd. Ah, uh, yeah, that was obtuse. Yeah, if if you didn't know in advance, you probably weren't going to guess. So Talia uses the testament to revive her father, Razal Ghul, voiced by Naveed Negaban, old Shadow King from Legion. Preferable who's who's a random the superhero stuff. Yeah. And murders Grendon to give birth to a woman-shaped plant monster, who's this universe's version of Poison Ivy. Uh, Ivy infects Mayor Harvey Dent, played by Patrick Fabian, turning half his body into a portal between worlds, which will allow Raz to summon the Elder God, Iog Sotha. 
After his friend Oliver Queen, voiced by Christopher Gorham, dies taking out Ivy, Bruce consults both the talking corpse of Langstrom and the ghost of his father, voiced by Darren DePaul, via the oracle Barbara Gordon, voiced by Gideon Adlon, and figures out what he must do. Batman fights his way to Raz, destroying the reanimated bodies of his friends and killing Talia. Raz's eldritch magic, though, is initially too much for Bruce, however by embracing his true self, transforms into some kind of man-bat and is able to kill Raz. The man-bat-batman then frees Etrigan. <laughs> man-bat-batman? Are you sure it's not a Batman-man-bat? Well, it might be a Batman-man-bat. Man-bat-batman-batman-man-bat. What you need is Scatman Carruthers to do this bit. <laughs> God, it is, it is getting a bit free-form jazzy. Anyway, whoever he is frees Etrigan and allows him to banish Iogsotha at the cost of burning Gotham to the ground. Uh, sometime later, we learn that Bruce has left his fortune to the last surviving member of his crew, Kylie Kane, voiced by Tati Gabrielle. Kylie vows to help rebuild Gotham better than ever, while in Gotham's bell tower, the Batman slumbers, ready for when the city needs him next. And I'm hoping that gives a pretty good impression of what it's like trying to cram the entire, like, three-issue Doom that came to Gotham series into an hour and a half. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it. It's... It's hard for me to tell because I really wanted to enjoy this. Because obviously, I mean, I'm I've, a big Mike Minola fan. I'm a big I've HBO got Minolaphobia. I've got Manolophobia. You do indeed. Which is a bit like Quantumania, but with less Ant-Man in it. Which, actually, I don't, I don't know if that would apply here, because it's mainly his art that you don't like, isn't it? That's true. Whereas in this, That's it's Troy Nixie who does the art, he just does the, the wordings. Yeah. Um, But all the way through, although I was watching a Batman movie, I felt like it was Instead of Batman assisting the GCPD, he was assisting the BPRD. Yeah. I mean, BPRD does literally have a plot where a bunch of foggy, lizardy type things take over the world. Yeah. So, it's... It didn't... And I get the whole point with the Elseworlds thing. But it didn't feel like a Batman film. Whereas Gotham by Gaslight, even though it's a different setting, feels like a Batman film. Yes, because they take the trouble for him to have gadgets that are time-adjusted. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this, there are no gadgets. I mean, yes, he's like a proto-Batman, I guess. Hence the big reveal with the costume thing. But it's like... I know he no, is... is... God, he's, got, he's got loads of gadgets. He's got his like, grappling gun, he's got his special telescope thing. He's got, like, he's got the crime scene light, where it's like a little flashy thing. He's got his laugh with all the spinny bodily bits. He's they refer to the Batcave as a wine cellar. On them. They refer to the Batcave as either the cave or a wine cellar. 
yeah, that's. I, I did think some of the jokey bits they put in didn't work that well. Bat cart. I was waiting for. I was waiting for the bat. <laughs> the bat handsome cab. <laughs> no, it's, it's the 1920s, so it gets a bat roadster. <laughs> which looked horribly uncomfortable. Yeah. But so was was the girl in it supposed to be like a sort of Elseworlds Cassandra Kane or something? Yeah, do you mean Kylie? Yeah. Yeah, she's supposed to be Cassandra Kane. She's she's not actually in the original comic, she's basically replacing Tim Drake. But yeah, I guess the idea is maybe they thought in the 20s she probably wouldn't have had like an anglicised name or something. Yeah. Mm. Which I, I, don't, I feel like they should have just called them Cassandra and Jason just just like yeah. clarify who they are. Yeah. Um, the, only, the only bit of this that I liked... was the fact that Barbara Gordon had developed a superpower after her accident that allowed her to see things. And that she was actually trapped in Arkham rather than up in a watchtower surrounded by loads of computers. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a bit tough to be surrounded by computers in the 20s. Charles Babbage had been around for 50 years by that point. See, actually, I do now wish there had been a scene where, she, where he'd gone to see Oracle and she just had like a lot of abacuses about. Yeah. <laughs> but no. But yeah, um, I quite like that. That was that was, but that was because she was familiar as Oracle, even though she was trapped in Arkham. She was still familiar as Oracle. She was still, you know, in a wheelchair. She was still able to assist Batman by giving him information. So it felt part of the Batman universe in a way that none of the rest of it did. You know, the Ivy thing didn't really come across until she sort of scratched Harvey. I mean, yeah, but I feel like that's the point at which you're supposed to go, oh, it's Poison Ivy. Yeah. There was a vague you know, sort of... Like, you know the bit when he's in the in the Doctor's and the Doctor says, hmm, it's probably Poison Ivy. I think that's yeah. the bit where you're supposed to go, oh, see. Well, I, went, he says I, I was like a bit before plant. that. <laughs> you know, when, the, when they have the smudge on his wrist. I cut, ah, I see what's happening oh, so, here. So it was before they turned to camera and said, Mick, that was Poison Ivy, Mick, do you get it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'd already been caught out by Ant-Man being in Quantum Mania, so I wasn't going to fall for that kind of shenanigans again. You're right, you're just adrift in a world without any kind of certainty. Yeah. Um, Oliver Queen... He actually reminded me more of the villain from the 1966 series The Archer that he did any red, any version of Green Arrow I'm familiar with 
it's again, I feel like, well, I feel like this is the issue is that you've gone into this expecting it to basically be like normal Batman stuff, but the 1920s when it's much more specifically, hey, look at how we've turned these things into sort of Lovecrafty stuff. But I guess if you're not into Lovecrafty stuff, it probably doesn't mean that much to you. No, and I'm I'm not a huge Lovecraft. I mean, I've I've played Call of Cthulhu, the role playing game, um, but it has to be said that I'm not a huge fan of reading the ramblings of a drug-addled maniac. Yeah, which maybe, maybe we should. Well, just... unless it's Philip K. Dick, in which case, you know, I'm happy. Yeah, it's also probably worth just specifying on the show. I, But when I say I like H.P. Lovecraft, I am a fan of his horror stories. The man himself was an awful racist. <laughs> Luckily, he's dead, so that makes the problem a lot less awkward. He won't be writing for the MCU anytime soon. Yeah. May it no. I, I get that it's supposed to be different, but I think if you're making it for the, the DC audience, does it need to... If you're going to have a character who's not the Green Arrow, why have Oliver Queen? Yeah. I mean, I guess this is really a debate about kind of Elseworlds and really just these kind of alternate reality stories in general yeah. which is at, at what point is it just why if you said these are this i mean really we say it's it's the thing with adaptation as a whole isn't it yeah where it's like at what point have you changed so much when really it's just a different thing yeah and and, and that's the thing i i mean Doctor Who's done it several times where they've gone into a thing where, you know, people aren't who they expected to be and stuff like that. And other shows have done it. But they've done it in a way that quintessentially shows that that person is that person. Regardless of what setting you put them in, they are that person. Now, Oliver Queen's a fine example. So... If Oliver Queen's destiny is to become the Green Arrow, if you then put him in a 1920s setting, he's still a rich businessman, part of Gotham's elite, yeah? Still public school chums with Bruce Wayne and Tommy Elliot, probably. He can still be the Green Arrow. And there is still... And that's the thing, if he's not the Green Arrow, why bother having the link to those four special Green Arrows? <laughs> yeah. And that, I, I think it's a mixed message, that's the thing. If he'd have just absolutely not had any connection to any Arrows, fine, you've done Oliver Queen as not Green Arrow. But then there was this wishy-washy connection. None of the sidekicks really felt like they were a Robin. Who is Grendon? Why is he Mr. Freeze? Well, I assume... And the big question, the big question on everybody's lips is, does anybody really need to see a naked Oswald Cotswold pot 
jumping around Antarctica. I mean, someone does. Someone's well, into that me. mick. Hey? Someone's into that mick. <laughs> and they, they deserve fetishes. a film as much as the rest of us. Do you think Danny DeVito's at home saying when his agent rings going, DC have been in... No. Just no. <laughs> oh, now I am quite sad that they didn't do a live action version of this. <laughs> just actual Danny DeVito running around out going, I'm a penguin now. <laughs> But yeah, also the thing with Grendon is I think because this is quite a serious spooky story it, it, it maybe comes across a bit silly if the man with cold powers is called Victor Freeze. <laughs> and also I can even tell you why he's called Grendon. Go on then. Because Grendon is, ba is basically taken from Stephen Grendon who wrote under the name August Durler who was a contemporary of H.P. Lovecraft's and finished the book Lurk on the Threshold, which H.P. Lovecraft had started when he died. Ah. And that's where they get the name for Iog Sother, because they call right. him Lurk on the Threshold. Right. One of them references. References. Uh. Yeah, like how the doctor that Harvey sees is called Herbert West. The reanimator. Ah. Uh, Starring Jeffrey Coombs. Ah. Uh, knew I knew the name Jeffrey Coombs from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. great. He also stars in a lot of DC stuff. He was the question in the old Justice League cartoon. I never watched the old Justice League cartoon. Oh, you should. It's really good. I will when you've watched Groove. Oh. Oh, well. <laughs> So, but yeah, like I say, I, I enjoyed the comic and I like, I think the difference, I quite like this idea of, because I think Batman himself is still very much Batman. And I like yeah. the idea that he's got to deal with the fact that because these elder gods exist in this universe, everything's very different to how it normally is. And like, it's, I mean, like the whole story is just about him learning to have to try and adapt to that, you know, like. Ah, but I'm a man of science, but now I've got to learn how to be just a big bat guy. Yeah. But it's with this. It's tough for me because obviously I know the story and I'm coming into this from a position of really wanting to like it. But I, I don't know because it, it crams a lot in. Yeah. And, and I was I was coming at it from a position of not necessarily really wanting to like it, but you know, Batman is a character that I enjoy. So, and I've I've very rarely been disappointed by the the animated character. I've been a lot less disappointed by DC's animated stuff than by <laughs> action stuff. So, I, I I wouldn't say I was going into it wanting to enjoy it, but I, I wasn't expecting to be disappointed. There is a lot crammed in, and I think if you're cramming a lot in and it's not for your usual audience, and I would argue that this is possibly more suitable to the 
Lovecraftian audience than it is to the Batman audience. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what my problem comes down to is I don't know how much is this just a film designed for people who like the comic Batman, the doom that came to Gotham. Yeah. Because I am part of that audience. Yeah. And I think I think this is sometimes the problem when they start doing adaptations of particular stories. And sometimes they miss it by a mile. Remember the killing joke? Oh, do I? Right. Now, now to be fair, half of that film is a very faithful adaptation of Batman the Killing Joke. Yeah. And that, and that that's the thing, you know, that's what fans want. When fans want an adaptation of their favourite comic book story, they want a faithful adaptation of the comic book story. Yes, you can update it a little bit. You can, um, you know, there are things that you can't do in film that you can do in comics so you know people are going to forgive a little bit but, but when you start adding odd relationships with Batgirl on rooftops and stuff like that that's when the fans go no oh, you've just added that for no good reason stop it now <laughs> yeah this look I, I guess we'll get into it more when we actually do an episode on that but it yeah. seems so weird to me that they did that when you've got a whole clear like if you want to expand that story out more you've got all the stuff with Barbara becoming Oracle that you could do. Yeah. That's it. it... The... There's also the fact that it's a rich it's a comic book form. The step from comic book to animation is a much smaller step than the step from comic book to live action movie. Um, and there's such a rich wealth of stories that you can tell within that universe that picking on a particular classic comic, I think, is a bit of a shame. It, it showed a certain creative bankruptcy, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's maybe. I'm, I'm trying to think of it as the wine cellar instead. <laughs> no, that's wrong. But yeah, I guess that that is a interesting point you raise. Is what's the advantage of reading this, of of watching this, or rather than just reading the comic? Yeah. If it's if it's that faithful an adaptation. Yeah. Because basically, everything that this film does good, that the comic does better, really. Yeah, and, and I find that quite a lot with the straight adaptations. I enjoyed Gotham by Gaslight as a comic far more than I did the animated film. Not that the animated film was that bad, but it did change significant elements enough to mar my enjoyment of it as an adaptation. Yeah. Hold on a second. What? You're saying you enjoyed Batman Gotham by Gaslight? Yeah. Yeah. But Mick, you you can't have. Why? 
because that is a comic drawn by Mike Bignola. I was younger then. When did it come out? Uh, 1989. Yeah. I'd just rediscovered comics then. What, you didn't know any better? I didn't know any... No, I, I was just reading all the Batman I could get my hands on. It was the fashion of the time. Michael Keaton was in the flesh. The full flush of youth as Mark the Bruce Wayne. Fully rubbered up as Batman. They were they they were introducing new film certificates for it to be released on video. Anyway, I, I guess this does kind of bring me on to another point against this film, or sort of kind of the animation style. Because so, yeah. Did you at some points feel like you were watching a Scooby-Doo? No, but I guess... I did. Kind. When when, <laughs> when Kylie was, was snooping around, I just got images of Velma from Scooby-Doo cartoons. But yeah, that is maybe... Because basically all the DC films... They've got like a fairly standard house style of animation now. Yeah. And I, I like that animation. Like, I think it's smooth. It's clean. I quite like the kind of thick black outlines that all the characters have. Yeah. But it does mean, because it's just like a blank standard, something like this, I feel like it could have benefited from a more stylistic art style. Yeah. Like something to really sell sort of the dark moodiness of it a bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, like like Troy Nixie. <laughs> Let's just have Troy Nixie do all the animation. He can probably yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I, it just left me sort of a bit meh. Because yeah, it's like I mean, I think Iog Soth is a good example of just that was a oh, it's it's a big tentacly thing. Not, mm. oh my god, this is a thing from beyond our realm of understanding that's, you know, going to break my brain with its very existence. Yeah. It's... I think what when Batman turns into the man-bat as well. Because, like, in the yeah. comic, he looks weird. And in this, he just, he looks quite, like, generic monstery. Yeah. Yeah, it's not... Because that... It's one of the things I always liked about the character Mambat. He was like a corruption. When when Kurt Landstrom became the the Mambat, he was like a corruption of what Batman was inspired by. Whereas, I mean, he looked like he looked like the demented cousin Avenger from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoons in this. There's a reference for you. Yes. He also, for more contemporary, I said contemporary, this is the 90s, looked like one of the gargoyles from Gargoyles. Yeah, lost on me. Of just, where well, they're monsters, but like weirdly handsome buff monsters. <laughs> Childhood was a confusing time.
I have, I have heard of the Gargoyles. I've never seen it. Yeah, it was, so, it was one of my favourite shows as a kid. Yeah. Explained a lot. But so, yeah, I'm I'm coming round to the opinion that I maybe wanted to like this more than I actually liked it. Yeah, and and I had no opinion going in, and mildly disappointed coming out. So there you go. There you go, indeed. Also, was the guy who killed? I, mean, I know it was Oliver Queen's dad, granddad, great-granddad. Yes, dad, but he's also like 500 years old because he did a spooky magic ritual. Yeah. But is he supposed to be this world's joker because he laughs a lot? Uh, I don't know. I think he was just... like He's obviously supposed to be this universe's version of Joe Chill. But I don't know if maybe they were trying to go for something like that. But I mean, I'll be honest. I like the fact that the Joker wasn't in this. Yeah. Well, that that, that was it. I was thinking, have they just made him laugh? Because there was no evidence of him having maniacal laughter at any point until that stabbing. Yeah. No, I, th I think it was maybe just supposed to be that he's... Oh, he's, he's gone mad from all this weird <laughs> culty stuff and now he's lost his mind. Yeah. And uh, I did like the subtle way in which in which everybody was revealed to be part of this cult. Excuse me while I just... Oh, move my arm in a way that dislodges my sleeve. <laughs> yes, allow me to show off my special cult pangle. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, you know, I did wonder if this was a sort of Elseworld retelling of like the Court of Owls type thing, but no, no. Well, I mean, this came out like quite a while before all the Court of Owls. I wonder if the Court of Owls are maybe inspired by this. Yeah, but also, I, I think there's been previous Batman stories about like weird spooky goings on beneath Gotham. Yeah. I think I've got one here in hardcover. It might even be a Mignola. Is it called Dark Mirror or something? Oh, uh, something like that. Because there's... Because there's one from, like, the 80s... Well, it's Batman going after the Riddler. But then there's also all this stuff about, like, a, a demon underneath Gotham, maybe. Yes. Is it, is it that one? I think it's that one. Cool. That's a good comic. And so is Doom when it came to Gotham. <laughs> so, um... The voice performances, I think, were a bit phoned in. None of the performances sold it for me. Yeah, I mean... David Giantoli is no Kevin Conroy. No, I think that's... I mean, that's generally a thing that annoys me with any Batman is just... Every Batman actor is just trying to do, like, a weaker Kevin Conroy impersonation. Yeah. yeah. 
I like Jeffrey Coopins. Just because I think he's got that weird trembling. And then I discovered the bats and I drank their formula and ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um... No, I didn't enjoy it. Not going to lie. I should have stuck with my first instinct, which is where I dozed off 20 minutes in. Yeah, maybe it was your brain trying to tell you something then. Yeah, my brain went into shutdown mode. Save me from this. But yeah, I just, I think it's maybe one of those ones that, I mean, certainly maybe doesn't work as like a straight adaptation. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you need to trim some bits down. Yeah, it certainly needed some streamlining to be a, to be a standalone movie. Because I, I think the problem is that although they cut, cut it down, they, they crammed it into a sort of one hour 30 run time, I think there was a lot of fat could have been trimmed and other bits expanded that could have still filled that same kind of run time. But it's an animated feature. They don't have to run to an hour and a half. Quite a lot of them only run to about 110, 120. Yeah, I mean, I assume this one was longer just because they've got so much stuff they want to cram in. Yeah. Like so many different ancient conspiracies that Bruce Wayne needs to be told about. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, he he did get told about them. He's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. Give him something to figure out. Yeah, I think that's, again, because it's riffing a lot and that's very... Like a Lovecraft thing is just a character finding the journal and reading about all the horrible stuff that happened to someone. Yeah. And then reading about how, and it was probably the fault of people from countries other than this one, and then going, don't know HP. <laughs> I also, I also maybe, feel maybe like... don't say that Hitler had some good ideas, HP. Uh... <laughs> I also feel that, in a way, it kind of robs Bruce Wayne stroke Batman stroke Nick Grimm of his agency. A little bit. Yeah, which... I think maybe if they could have expanded on it a bit more is, I think, sort of the point. Because it's kind of like saying... Well, no, all, all your smart science thinking can't do much against ancient evil horrors and you're fighting against destiny type thing. Mm. But it's just, it's because it's such a whistle stop. Okay, this thing, then this thing, then this thing, then this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh... Then I like it. Give me another one to watch. A better one. Um, well, first things first, shall we watch our ranking list? Okay. Going from a history of violence at one to spawn at 50. Right. And this. Well, that means we've done at least 50 movie episodes. We have indeed. Wow. And in fact, the 50. That was 60, 70, 71. 
I think that means we've done 20. Actually, what do we I've got a list. I can just look and see how many we've done. Uh, 32 TV ones. Wow. We should get out more. <laughs> it's overrated. <laughs> you know, you, you think it's going to be a nice walk and then frogs and snakes crawl up from the sewers and giant gouts of flame burst up everywhere. You don't have to go walking in Hartlepool. I mean, I'd, I'd say we'd lost our Hartlepool listeners, but they don't know how to use a computer. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listeners in Hartlepool, we love you really. <laughs> anyway, this film... Uh, you might disagree, but I, I often do. Do you want to put it above Catwoman Hunted at 34? Because I think this is a lot better than that. I preferred Catwoman Hunted. Is this going to have to be a This Is My Show type deal? I'm going to end up fired here, aren't I? Quite possibly. I, mean, I haven't been fired this year. Okay, what if... I mean, I'm trying to figure out what's a compromise. So we've got Batman Returns at 32. And I think this goes under that. And Wakanda, Wakanda Forever was probably better. Then we've got Catwoman Hunted. Then we've got Venom 2. I would say... The voice acting in Catwoman Hunted is better. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I thought some of that was quite flat as well. And I think this... Because this has too much story. Catwoman Hunted had not enough story. So that means... They're the same. So, Doom that came to Gotham goes in as our new number one. Huh? No. No, that's never going to happen. I'm firing you before that happens. Okay. Staging a workers' revolt. Your workers are revolting. Fine. What if as a compromise then we stick it in as our new number 34, just one above Catwoman Hunted? Well, that's not really a compromise, is it? That's what you wanted all along. Yeah, but I was hoping if I went really big then it would seem like I'm coming down. <laughs> it's, the, it's the art of the deal, Mick. I'm a co-host, not 12. <laughs> Well, sometimes I'm not sure. The art of the deal. Who do you think you are? Tiny Donald Trump? I mean, like Donald Trump is that big. Yeah, fair point. Oh, go on then. suppose you can have it your way, seeing as it's your show. Hooray! And I'll, I'll Although you... technically it's my Zencaster account, so... Technically, I own the means of production. 
Oh no! <laughs> A socialist uprising has happened on my podcast. That's not what I expected. The problem is politically, I'm I'm in favour of you seizing the means of production and ending my tyranny. <laughs> We'll keep the bat flag flying high. <laughs> Fine. At least as my last act before I'm deposed, I can put in Batman the Doom that came to Gotham at 34. <laughs> and that's... something. Yeah. It's a hollow victory for you. Before you're placed up against the wall and shot. <laughs> I mean, it's I suppose that's kind of a hollow point victory. Hey, at least at least I died with a good one. <laughs> yeah, it would help if I had not closed the document with the ending bit on it. <laughs> You see, your empire's crumbling before you. Oh my god, this is just how Ozymandias felt. Oh, already my revolutionary council is storming. <laughs> the old towers. No, can't, can't believe capitalism has failed me again. <laughs> Right, now no, I can end the show. <laughs> well, that's about it from us. If you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. Also, if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. Although do bear in mind that if you put a positive review, you are upholding a capitalist tyranny. tyranny. Just saying. Yeah, you posho scum. <laughs> <laughs> so that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. I've been Nick. So long and thanks for listening. Viva la revolution! Do 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 do